Hi, welcome to the show, Take It From Tony. And I am Tony. The show today is an interview I did, oh, probably about four years ago with Anita Shreve, um, an author. Uh, she lived in New England. And I just, I was so lucky to get her on my show. And she has written so many books. Her last book was The Stars Are Fire. And I just, I cannot tell you how honored I was that she took the time. So enjoy. I was walking in a bookstore and I found a book, Anita Shreve's books. And I started to read them. And I couldn't get enough of them. And I think the fact that she makes women very strong um, and she's not afraid to show the emotion I really do think it helped me so much during that time, and I want to thank her. I'm honored to have Anita Shreve on my show today. Thank you. Thank you so very much. I'm happy to be here. You did make a difference. Um, at that time, it was very difficult, and I never had time to sit down and just read and just just think, you know, after losing someone, and I found your books. Fortune's Rocks, um, and then I just started right down the line. Mm -hmm. And that's the best reason I can think for any. I mean, that justifies what I do right there. And I've gone back, mm -hmm. reread a lot of your books with a different frame of mind, mm -hmm. and I still get something out of your books at this point different, and it's still a strength. That's and lovely to hear. Thank you. And it really, really does make a difference. Um, so what have you been doing? You've just come out with another book, Stella Bain. I, Stella Bain, yes. Um, the, uh, the book came out about a year ago, and the paperback came out in June. Ah, wonderful. And, um, but, but, you know, what most people don't realize is that by the time the book comes out, you are well on to another project because it takes about nine months from when you're finished. Well, less now. It used to take nine months. Now it can take four or five or six. But you've already begun something else. Yeah. And um, it's, uh, it's, it's the best way to have a publication go, up, go out into the world sure. is to be deeply involved in something else. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because... Mm -hmm. um, I love the fact that when you were a school teacher, that you knew you had to write. You felt a panic. I did. You I felt did. a panic. Yeah. It's like, I have to do it now or mm -hmm. I'll never do it. That's right. I, uh, I had taught high school for four and three quarters years in and around Boston at different high schools. Well, two different high schools. and. Um, I, teaching is teaching, they should get combat pay for teaching is what I think. But anyway, <laughs> it, uh, it was a very hard job. It didn't, I couldn't write while I was doing it because no. there's so much homework. Um, and then I just had this panicky feeling that if I was ever going to write, it had to be right now. Mm -hmm. And I didn't quit at Christmas <laughs> when it would have been logical. I quit in April. And I, I really could not be talked out of it. I just was absolutely, it was meant to be. And, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Yes, it was meant to be. And I'm glad that I did that. 
uh, it would have been a fiasco had that not <laughs> turned out well. Uh, it would have been harder to explain to all those parents who wondered why the teacher left their children. But you know what? That it, it shows you trusted in yourself. You trusted in your abilities. I trusted in my instinct that I had to give it a try. Yeah. Uh, it was something I knew I really wanted to do, and I had to give it a try. At that time, of course, we're talking about short stories. Never crossed my mind that I would ever write a novel. But, um, but you found the format for the novel. I, I did eventually. Yeah, yes. eventually yeah. you did. Because what happened was I wrote short stories, and then I went to Kenya. And, and there I worked on a magazine mm -hmm. for three years. And then when I came back to this country, I worked on magazines. And then when I had my family, um, I began freelancing, which is what a lot of people do. Yeah, exactly. And, and um, during that time, I wrote a couple of cover stories for the New York Times magazine. And the, you know, the joke, which isn't a joke because it's true, is that you have to, by the time you finish researching, to satisfy the editors at the mm -hmm. New York Times, you might as well write a book. So in fact, two of those cover stories turned into books. And that's how I was able to make the leap wow. from, from the idea of a short piece to a long once I'd Once I'd written a book, I, even though it was going to be fiction, I at least knew the, the shape of it and how to pace it and, and, and whatnot. So, so that's really, it, it, I, I sort of came in through the back door. That's the best mm. way to come in. <clears throat> I really do believe you learn more. Um, and it takes a lot of courage. To well, come you're self-taught. You're self-taught self and you're self-disciplined. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's something that I think that has stayed with me all the time because if you don't have self-discipline, this is not a profession you can do. No. Because it's only you... The paper and the pen, and yeah. that the, there's no one telling you to do it. There's nobody. I mean, you're sitting there in your bathrobe, basically. Right. You know, well, uh, you, writing. I read somewhere you said it's like daydreaming. Yes. It's like going into a daydream. Mm -hmm. It's like it fantasizing. Is. Yes. And when I read that, I thought it's true, and it's something. I had just talked to my nieces about this summer. I said. Don't you ever just sit and daydream and, and look out and just kind of blank out and your mind? Oh, no, the computer does that for us. Well, they're, they're right and they're not right unless they're texting while they're driving, which is, as yeah. we all know, not right. But, but the best example I can give that, that, that anyone can relate to is that you're in your car and you're going over the way an important conversation went the night before and yeah. you know you're saying oh, if only I'd said that that would have been great right. and then you keep driving and then you say you know I know what I'll say tonight I know how I can fix this this is what and I and I have I have to remember to tell and this is how I'll phrase it and, and then you go did I miss my exit <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> So you've been daydreaming whether you realize it or not. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I did that on, on Sunday. I was coming back from Kennebunk, and it was a red light, but I made a left turn. And I said, why did I just do this? And how am I going to explain this to the cop? I was daydreaming. So. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it happens. And you yeah. just, um, 
But you're absolutely right. I mean, because you always look back and you go, well, I should have said this, I should have said that. If only I'd if said only. that. If only I'd said that. Would have been brilliant, yeah. Oh. Well, let's go back a little bit. Now, you're one of three daughters. Mm -hmm. Wow. And your father was an airline pilot. Yes. And your husband, his father was a pilot. Yes. They were both in World War II. Oh, my goodness. So now, did that encourage you to write the book, The Pilot's Wife? Yes, it did, because I, w I was familiar with the lingo. Okay. You know, I knew enough about, really, the, the story is about the wife mm -hmm. and, and her and her daughter and, and this series of, you know, she opens the door right early on in the, in the book and, and she thinks the worst thing that's ever going to happen to her has just happened and it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And, but I, I, I knew enough to, to, to create an authentic background mm -hmm. so that the, you know, the reader could believe that they lived in that family. And I did have, a, a, not my father, but a, a pilot um, who took me through, there's a, there's a very difficult scene that happens in the cockpit at one point, and the pilot took me through, well, he would look at this instrument, he'd reach in here, he would reach in, I mean, really just yeah. minute to minute. So. With various key elements, I was able to create that story, which, of course, is out of whole cloth. Wow. Wow. You know, a lot of people do not realize the pilot's wife was made into a movie, Beneath the Water. Weight of Water. Weight of Water. Yes. Um, I watched that probably three times with Sean Penn. Mm -hmm. And a friend of mine was visiting me from L.A., and we watched it together. And it left us both with a feeling, an eerie feeling. Mm. And I thought, oh my goodness, did she do it this time? <laughs> well, the movie is different. You know, the, um, the movie is a different animal yeah. uh, from the book. And I, uh, I did not write that screenplay. I wrote right. the screenplay for The Pilot's Wife. There also is a third movie, Resistance, mm -hmm. yes. um, that you can rent on Netflix. And that's about... That's a French, uh, French and and English uh, words are used, but there are always subtitles if you don't right. understand the French. And it's a it's sort of an exquisite Belgian movie made by a Belgian director who is American. Um, and you know, it was it was really a surprise because I was not involved in the making of it, so it was quite a surprise when it came out. Did you like it? I did. At first, you know, it's really based on a true story about my husband's father. Mm -hmm. And, of course, we had, I had my own images and in my head. And um, it w it's as if you were watching an exquisite French World War II movie and then Jim Paxton comes bumbling in. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. it wasn't quite the image of the pilot that I had. And after John and I watched it, we, we sat there in dead silence, and John just put the movie away. We never said a word. And, I mean, I think we were both horrified. And then the second time we watched it, we were prepared to watch it as just a movie. Okay. And then we watched it, and at the end, John said, um, it wasn't half bad. <laughs> and See, I'm that's saying, what I mean. Julia Almond, she was fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> but see, that's 
Yeah, we had to divorce it, divorce it from not only what I had written, yeah. but what was actual reality. You know, for John, yeah, could picture his father very well. Wow. Mm. Well, you know, I was looking. You wrote a book almost every single year. Almost um, from they... 1991. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, 1975. You were starting. But the novels didn't start until uh, eighty-nine. Yep. Eden Close. Right. Um, ninety-one, ninety-three. When and where was ninety-three? Mm -hmm. Fits of Passion, ninety-one. Resistance, ninety-five. Um, the Way to Water, ninety-seven. And you got a prize for that. Yes. And two. Orange, um, two prizes. I was actually shortlisted for the Orange Prize right? in England, and then it won the Penn L.O. Winship Award. That's fabulous. It was very nice. It's fabulous. You know, writers, we we just we take these little things wherever we can get them, and we just it just you know it's a way of validating that decision I made to to quit school. And, exactly to yeah. quit school and come back and right. do this. Right. Fortunes Rocks, 1999. Um, the last time they met, 2001. Sea Glass, 2002. Um, All he ever wanted, 2003. Light on Snow. 2004, A Wedding in December, well see I've read all these, 2005, Body Surfing, and you're a surfer too. Yes. 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 So that was kind of like your whole world is out of control. Yes. Yes. And some things miss signals. Right. Yes. See it's amazing how you do this. Um, testimony, 2008. A Change in Altitude, 2009, Rescue, 2010, Stella Bain, 2013. My goodness, Up until woman. during the, the decade of the 2000 to 2010, that, that I'm now hearing, um, I would have said they were every two years apart, but I guess not. No. No. <laughs> no. No. I yeah. mean, this is just, you know, and you had three of the books made into a movie. Mm-hmm. What a fabulous accomplishment. Thank you. Thank you. What a fabulous. There are a lot of other writers, too, that have written um, very, very good work. I uh, know. And they don't get the Oprah, and they don't get the, you know, it's luck. A lot of it is luck. Oh, I loved when Oprah's secretary or whoever called oh, you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And didn't say. Oh, that was, a, that was, a, that was wild, that story. Yeah. Yeah. It was wild. And Oprah's secretary called you, didn't leave a name, just said call back or something. Well, it was a guy, yeah. and he had been calling all day. And I had taken that day, I lived in Western Mass, and I had taken that day to go to Portsmouth to buy a dress. I have no memory why. I thought I had to drive two and a half hours to buy a dress. But anyway, um, so I came back, no cell phones then. This was 1998, mm -hmm. And there were no, I didn't have a cell phone. People did, but I right. didn't have one. And so I know I'm late. I'm like two hours late. But I'm thinking, isn't it better, it's a conundrum, isn't it better to just keep going? Because otherwise I've got to find a gas station, find a pay phone. Mm -hmm. By that time, you know. So anyway, I arrive home, and my, my husband is a very nice man, but he's standing on the back back door, fit to be tied. And he says, you have got to call this guy. He has been calling all day. 
I, I told him you'd be home at 6. He's been calling constantly since 6 o'clock. I said, what's it about? And he said, I don't know. It's some little literary group in Chicago. And I went to the phone, and um, I was still in my coat, slightly annoyed. He's really been harassing yeah, John. Yeah. And I, I picked up the phone, and I said, hi, this is Anita Shreve. And the gentleman said, oh, I'm so glad, I'm so glad you called. My boss wants to talk to you. Hung up the phone. I mean, not hung up, put me on hold. Yeah. So I'm thinking, this is really weird. And then this booming voice comes over a speakerphone and says, Anita. <laughs> I could hear her. And I said, hi. And the booming voice says, I loved your book. And I said, thank you. And she said, it's Oprah. <laughs> As if you don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, I thought when I first heard the voice, it's a very distinctive voice. Yeah. And, you know, I thought, oh, my God, if this is a hoax, which I did believe at that time, um, someone has really done it well. Someone has really done it well mm -hmm. because they've raised expectations. They've, you know, somehow got a, you know, pasted in Oprah's voice somehow. And then, um, and then she started asking questions about the book. Mm -hmm. And I said, you're Oprah? <laughs> and she said yes and I said oh my god and then I knew it was true yeah, yeah absolutely and there's only so much you can say you you she must think every author that she's ever called is an idiot because <laughs> I kept saying thank you thank you so much oh my god oh my god and then she tells you that um you can't tell a soul except your your husband your editor and your agent okay because they have to know to get the books ready for, mm -hmm. for the day she announces it. She wants to be the one to announce it. And they, they actually threaten you by telling you about someone who didn't adhere to that. And they took the book. They didn't do the book. So okay. thre thre threaten's not the right word, but just encourage you to Strongly not, suggest. Strongly suggest that you not do that. And that was a tough month because there's, you, know, you just want to tell. Yeah. You can't. You can't. Yeah. Yeah, and of course she gives a copy to everybody in the audience when right. she had her show. Right. So. And she did for me what she did to all uh, 46 other authors of the of book club one, yeah. you know, that era. Um, she sent every book right to number one. That is fabulous. And publishers adored her. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, they, they, they yeah. considered her to be the best thing that had ever happened to books. Oh, I mean, her word was law. Mm -hmm. during her show mm -hmm. and I met her years ago at a um, campaign advertising campaign you know and she walks into a room and she owns it she what you see is what you get yeah that's that's exactly. my impression and she was very welcoming big hug big yeah. you know um but she's but she's a little sassy in the chair too <laughs> oh yeah yeah absolutely um, like I was, I was taking great pains at one point I said, um, you know, th this isn't, I have to just say, this isn't my family. They've been happily married for, for 56 years. Mm -hmm. And, um, she looked at me and said, we'll take that as red. <laughs> oh, <laughs> In other words, you know, she was just very, just very, uh, playful in yes. a way. Yeah. Dead serious and playful at the same time. Yeah. Yeah.
Well, she built in Chicago a big empire. Mm-hmm. By did. that, she did. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, you've had so many moments. I've had a lot of tough moments, too. Sure. Yes. No, nobody gets away unscathed. Nobody gets away unscathed. And the tough moments aren't so much what's happening in the space between my bathrobe and the desk. What it, they're, you know, they're, they're, the most difficult moments have been the, the difficult reviews. You know, and now I'm, I won't say I'm inured, um, but I, uh, r right after Oprah, the, you know, the knives were out. Yeah. And the, you know, this, even the second book after The Pilot's Wife, Pilot's Wife, Fortune's Rocks, and then mm -hmm. um, The Last Time They Met. The last time they met, I got a scathing review in the New York Times, and it mentioned Oprah 11 times. Now, why... Yeah. Why the reference to Oprah was necessary to review a book that had nothing to do with her. Exactly. Um, was egregious in a way. Yeah, absolutely. But, but you know, that's, that's, you know, I remember when I'd send out short stories and I would get rejections. Um, and I chose to see them as tickets to the game. Exactly. Because if I didn't, you know, if I had been more thin-skinned or not as, not as, you know, absolutely determined to make this work, I would have, that they would, you know, after you collect your 25th rejection, you're really, you know, common sense would tell you to, you know, um, put the pen back, the quill back in the inkwell. <laughs> but not, mm. not really, not unless you're a fighter and you're a fighter. I mean, I knew, I can tell from your emotions in your books that, Life has not been easy for you. I can, I can tell. Mm -hmm. You can write um, about a husband and wife I've read where it is so real, like I'm in the middle of it. You know, I mean, yes, you have to be an actor, actress, but you cannot write these scenes that you write in your book as convincing unless you have knowledge of them mm -hmm. and unless you have felt them and felt that emotion. I, I agree with you. It's also possible for me to have observed it. Yeah. Not just had it happened to me, but... To observe. To yeah. observed it. And to observe, you know, the whole spectrum of human emotion in certain, cer certain circumstances. But a lot of people can observe, and they don't get it. Mm. You felt it, which shows in your writing. I mean, that's what I see. I mean, I've read all these books. <laughs> I know that in certain ones, the way you write a scene of, of, of um, anger or fighting or running away or love. Mm -hmm. It's actually quite a... It's been very unfashionable to write about love during the period that 2000 mm -hmm. to 2010. It was sort of... Irony was more respected than, you know, a realistic story about love. But it's hard for me to detach from that because um, it's, it's a fascinating arena in which to plunge characters. It's the one thing for which we're willing to abandon our, our moral sense. And it's the thing that makes us do, you know, follow a path we would never, if we were paying attention to common sense, follow.
So it's, it's just a, a tremendous arena, and it's, um, as is war, I suppose. Yes. Um, I'm, you know, I, I don't think any subject is off the table. No. But, I, but except for agendas. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I wouldn't write a novel about a strong character just to prove something about feminism. No. no or I no. wouldn't write a, a, a book about um, two gay women and how they get married just, just I might write it. it for a lot of other reasons, but I, but the issue itself would not no. be interest me. No, no, because you in my writing, I'm very interested in the issue. Yeah, and, yeah, and, no, you know, no, I do understand. Yeah, yeah, I do understand that. But I want to go back for a minute with you and your husband John. You met him when you were 13. I did. What a love story. Yes, it was I sweet. Mean, it was very sweet. We met at a summer camp, and we were. Um, I don't know how these things happen. I mean, you know, you meet the right person at the wrong age. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah because we lived at opposite sides of the state. And we were 13. We didn't have licenses. And, you know, I was not going to go to my father and say, hey, Dad, you want to drive me all the way across the state yeah. so I can... In those days, the guy had to make the first... And he, he was in the same situation. Yeah. And then um, 31 years later... He saw a picture of me in an ad for one of my books um, in the New York Times, and he wrote a lovely, I mean, this was, I'm sure, part of his seduction. It was a beautiful stock card and gorgeous penmanship, masculine but gorgeous penmanship. And just said something very simple, if, if you are the Anita um, I once met when I was 13. I just wanted to say hello and congratulations. And if you're not the Anita, um, I wish you luck with your book anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and it was very, it was great. And then we corresponded. It was very old-fashioned. We corresponded. We No emails. It was just all, um, it was 91. So it was just all letters. And for a good six months, and then we had a lunch. Wow. Mm. It was great. It was great. Love. It, yeah. You know, you just do not hear stories like this. And, and well, the funny thing is, the funny yes, thing is, go ahead. I, when I wrote this, I thought, um, well, this is, I hadn't read anything like it before, and I thought, well, this is a fairly unique st story. And I got tons of mail. In those days, people actually wrote you letters. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of it was from men. And they said how they had met, you know, loved someone forever, even though married to someone else, and had gone back to their high school reunion and rekindled. Or so, They had just all kinds of stories. And I thought, um, well, you're just not quite as unique as you think you are. <laughs> No, I read that and I thought, oh my goodness, going back. And even to this day, I mean, you had a birthday yesterday. Yes, I did. And he surprised her. Yeah, he did. He, he surprised did. her, um, dinner, friends, a wonderful gift. Yeah. And, um, it was fun. It's, yeah, it was, I, it was I really can fun. tell because a twinkle in your eye right now. <laughs> you had a ball. I mean, this is just so yeah. special. My goodness. And our anniversary is tomorrow. And I'm going to have a tough time 
you know, he set the standard, he set the bar very high yesterday. He so, sure did. <laughs> so I'm going to have a tough time. No, I, I have something for him, so it'll be fine. Wow. Oh, gee, you know. I mean, all this plays a part in your life. I mean, your life. Um, I'm sure there are times when, when you're really working on something and you're in a, a fog. Problem solving. Yeah. Yeah. Problem solving. Yes. And to be married to someone who understands that. Well, that's a wonderful thing about John. I mean, I, it, it was clear right from the get-go that I had tremendous license to do whatever was necessary to keep doing what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And um, the other wonderful thing is that he cooks. So that, I, that frees me up because anyone who is a really good cook has to shop do the shopping and buy the ingredients. So I am, was there for a release from two chores that take a lot of time yeah. and I didn't have to worry about them. So it just, it, it was really very freeing. Very lucky lady <laughs> on that. Now you have two children, right? And then you have um, two We have five together. Okay. I have two and he has three and okay. they're all about the same ages and we do everything that involves family we all do together. We had one, right at the beginning, my daughter was very difficult. Um, and there was a year or two where she f refused to be in the same building with him, yeah. which was tricky. Yeah. A little tricky here and there. But uh, one day, she just, I would brought her down to meet, you know, I, I finally said, do you think you're ready? And I would brought her down to, we didn't speak all the way from Montreal to Western Mass because she'd agreed. I didn't dare say a word because I was afraid she would, like, not agree. And and she, she you know, I, re, I was in the car unloading something, and she went right up to John and said, I'm sorry for all the trouble I've caused. And right then, she was right in the middle of the family. In fact, she's something of a master of ceremonies. I mean, she gets things going. So... So at that moment, I remember the Christmas card I sent out that year because a lot of people knew that we'd had a lot of, you know, Sturm and Drang. Yeah. And it just shows a picture of all of us together and the only word inside was finally. Wow. Yeah. And that was, that was all, that was the only message I wanted to send that year. And everyone who was close to you got it. Oh, yeah. They knew. Oh, oh definitely, yeah. I'll only send it to people who knew, who knew. Of course. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, because having a family, now tell me, when, I mean, you were going through the turmoil of your daughter not getting along with John, and did you talk about it a lot with her, or did you just let it play out? I, I let it play out yeah. because I thought if I force her to do something, she's, simply going to rebel and um, it's a very sad situation for me right now I'm thinking then uh, but I think if I play my cards right and I and I and I'm I stay with her I mean I don't mean that I lived with her mm -hmm. but I mean I left John yeah. for her I don't mean no. that but if I'm if I if I make it clear that I am always here under any circumstances and that you know, I, I made a point of going and doing things together that didn't have to include him. Mm -hmm. uh, and then eventually I think she re realized that not only was this a marriage that was 
I mean, would become a marriage. This was something that was here to stay, but that she was missing out. Yeah, smart. Yeah. Smart. Because, yeah, normally... I mean, it didn't always go so swimmingly. Of course not. <laughs> it took me a long time to work this out. But eventually, I just said, um, I'm not going to... I'm, I'm not going to try anymore. I'm just going to let this happen. I can understand that because there are moments where we can manipulate something yes. and make it happen. Right. Well, I could have, but it would have been... It wouldn't have been right. No, and I might have lost her altogether. Well, well but that's the thing. You might have lost her altogether. Um, and it's knowing yourself well enough that you know, okay, this one I cannot touch. Mm -hmm. I just have to let it happen the way it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when I say when I when I met John the second time, it was really the best of times and the worst of times. Yeah. And yeah. that I think when when any families are involved, that that's inevitable. It just can't help but happen. Do your do your friends around you or family members, if they're going through grief or loss? Do you absorb that, or can you shield yourself? Oh, no. Well, the only grief or loss my two sisters and I have gone through would be our parents, and we shared that. Okay. I mean, we each have our own private little memories and yeah. of things. But um, one thing our, this is sort of off point, but one thing our father taught us was um, to share everything equally. He was absolutely... Um, rigid about it and he said that you must do this in your own lives. Mm -hmm. So when it came time to I would say carve up the estate but to, to just decide who wanted what my sister Betsy developed an, an extraordinarily fair system and we did it without a wince or a I mean and we're still really close friends now. I mean he the way he taught us fairness yeah. okay well my mother would make a bowl of chocolate pudding. Do you know, remember those royal chocolate puddings? Yes, yeah. I do. Yeah. Yes, I do. Do you remember how little that was actually? Mm -hmm. Okay. So it shared among five people. And the, the, the trick was the person who uh, doled out the portions had to pick last. So you better believe within a millimeter <laughs> each of these portions was precisely the same. Wow, that's a yeah. good idea. Yeah, it was a good idea. That's a good idea. Yeah. Mm. Well, did your parents live long enough to see you succeed? In yes. Oh, good. Yes, they did. There were mixed feelings about it, I think. Um, writing was a partially shameful thing to do. I mean, when I was growing up, it wasn't even on the radar screen. It, no one ever said, ooh, you should be a writer. No. No, no that, was, that was not happening. And when I became a writer, you know, this, the aspect of it of, of telling stories and how close to home are the stories. And um, I remember clearly when I wrote my first novel, Eden Close, I really sort of was congratulating myself. It's from the point of view of a man. Mm -hmm. Not me. He's an advertising executive. He goes up to North... Um, northern New York and he goes for the funeral of his mother and you know he's still very has a lot of curiosity about the murder that happened next door and you know 
secret. And it uh, has nothing to do with me whatsoever. And usually first novelists fall into the trap of making it very autobiographical. That was until I went to lunch with my mother. And she said, well, I can tell you who that is. And I can tell you who that is. And I can tell you who that is. And don't write about me again. And I was stunned. Absolutely, yeah. my jaw yeah. dropped. And she, she couldn't believe I didn't know that as I was writing it. But, but my subconscious had created this dream, as we do in dreams. Yes, 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 yes. And you think you've created a whole fiction. But in fact, I mean, she was right. That's, that's the weird thing. She was right. But um, subconsciously, it was... Yeah. Oh, my. It was really a stunning... Stunning. You must have been floored. Yeah, yeah, I was. She, she, she thought it, the corollaries. She thought she was the mother in all the stories, and I have many different kinds of mothers. Yes, <laughs> yes, she keeps saying, you do. I told you not to write about me again. <laughs> but she saw herself in all the in mothers. In all the mothers, which is very interesting. Well, you know, I, I think it's kind of a compliment because she saw herself in many different ways. Yes. And I did write very loving, flattering portraits of women as mothers. Mm -hmm. And um, I hope she didn't just dismiss those. Probably not. She probably <laughs> caught that. I mean, it's, you know, it's funny how, how parents, you know, they see you one way, and now you've become something they were not expecting. And during that time, in that generation, there mm. was a... You know, you do this, you do this, you do this, and then you get here. Right. Uh, preferably, preferably married when you get there. Yes, yes. preferably. I yes. mean, and I, I remember my father, did, did. I went to Tufts, and um, my father didn't want me to go to college because in those days, I mean, he had a childhood of the Depression and all yeah. that, and he said that um, he wanted me to go to Katie Gibbs, which was a very famous secretarial school in Boston, and he, this, this was on the off chance that I didn't get married the day after I graduated from college. I should go to Katie Gibbs so I would earn, you know, have a, a, a skills, but, I, but mostly because so I could become the executive secretary marry the boss. <laughs> that, but that's what it was. That's exactly what that's it was. That's what it was. And there was nothing wrong with that at the time when they told you. No. You thought you didn't even cross your mind to think. No. No. I mean, I know I didn't want to go to secretarial school, but... Yeah. Um, and it was a time of, of tremendous change. You know, I was in college from 64 to 68, and that was... The whole world was changing. Mm-hmm. And, yes. you know, I would not have been happy at Katie Gibbs. No. You would not have been. Mm-mm. At but all. see, I would have, knowing me, okay, I would have wanted to own the company. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and maybe I would by now, who knows. You might have. Yeah, <laughs> see, that's what happens. Yeah. When you become an entrepreneur, mm. which I've been my whole life, I've never worked for anyone, and, you know, I have this, this I have an ability to make something out of nothing. Don't know how to do it. But I do it. Mm -hmm. That's a great talent to have. Yeah. A lot of people do not understand that phrase, to make something out of nothing. A few do. You do, I do. Um, 
But once you're like that, yeah, you're going to want to own that company, maybe. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I, well, the way the the way the world was going with feminism, yeah. I doubt I've been satisfied with not. But the corporate world would never. I wouldn't have made it that far because the corporate world's not that not for me. No. Oh no, 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 no. I've dealt with it many years mm -hmm. because of business and because of my life and. Inside, it was rebelling, rebelling, rebelling. Yeah. You know, doing what I had to do, but rebelling. Right. So, I want to go back because Sea Glass. I want to go back to Sea Glass. You wrote 1929, The Crash of the Stock Market. Yes. You did that beautifully. Thank with you. the wife trying to pull money together, mm -hmm. finding her talents. That was fabulous. Well, the irony being they get married right just before it happened yes and they're so happy to have this house and they sort of an abandoned house they've been able to purchase for a song and they they're married and then almost immediately he loses his job and that as it did for pretty much every family has a devastating effect on a family absolutely and she's she's She's, I don't know how old she is, 21, 23. I thought she was young. Yeah. I thought you mm -hmm. did write her very young. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the way she was raised, she, um, she didn't really panic. She was there. Yeah. She was yes. present yeah. with her husband. She's the moral center of the, of yeah. the novel. There was a character in that novel um, that she later becomes friends with, who's staying in a hotel down yes. the way, and her name is Vivian, and she is a vet, you know wealthy, um, looking at the summer in this fabulous hotel overlooking the water is something of pure boredom, and how on earth is she going to survive? And and she's just she was such a flippant um, character, and all of a sudden I realized the novel she was running away with the novel, and I actually had to. Pull her back. Pull her back because Honora has to be the mm -hmm. um, moral center. But it's very easy to kind of run away with that kind of character because they are very flippant and they mm -hmm. are very, um, you know, it, they're the sort of women who walk into the room and they've never met a stranger. Mm hmm. And that's well, they, what Vivian reminded me yes, of. Yes, yes. And she was, well, you know, and she went with a certain set you know who they they played tennis and they yachted and they and they did all that and she but she's done it before she's very young too she's just done it before yeah. over and over and over again and she's just bored out of her mind so these two different people from very different walks of life um come together in a political for a political cause really i love the way you merge them together I really, it was fun. really do. Yeah. yeah, researching that was fun. Oh, yeah. Now, damn, we're running out of time. Mm -hmm. But um, I want to go back to when you lived in Kenya, mm -hmm. in Nairobi. Yes. You were there, journalist. Your parents well, I went, no, I went uh, with a friend, and the intention was to stay a year. Um, he was finishing a Ph.D., in political science and needed the university there. And I went and I thought I would write short stories. And um, I just, on a whim, wrote a letter to the editor of the only English-speaking magazine. I mean, it, 
everybody in Kenya speaks English. That's what's taught in schools. Um, but it, you know, they had one called The Nation, and that was all politics. And they had another magazine called Viva, and Viva was a mixed bag. I mean, you might have an interview with the president of the country, and on the opposite page, you'd have recipes. <laughs> you know, just, just didn't. Yeah, yeah. So it was a very small staff. Uh, and uh, my letter arrived, at, you know, at exactly the right moment. And he called me in and said, "Can you start uh, in an hour? <laughs> Can you start now?" Yeah, yeah. Because he was desperate. He was desperate, and yeah. it was a wonderful way. I was sent all over the country to do stories, and it was a wonderful way to a become a journalist and b get to know the country. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and at that time, how old were you when you were doing that? I was 20, 28. What an experience at 28. Yeah. yeah. To have that opportunity. Mm -hmm. oh, it was I mean, wonderful. Yeah. It was wonderful. I now, since, you know, I thought about taking my children there. It's never been safe. Not, not uh, since. No. no. Not, it really isn't. I mean, you cannot walk outside at night, anybody, yeah. ever, anywhere. Um, so, since it, all, since it's on the equator and the sun sets at 6.30, that's a pretty truncated day. Yes, it is. And, you know, I, if that's the case, I was not going to take my children there. No, no, no. And now it's, now it's particularly dangerous. Yeah. Right now, it's just not safe leaving the country. I hate to say that. But I do, too. Yeah. But reality is reality. I mean, there, there's so much going on that, you know, you had that wonderful experience at 28, that was it. That was it. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, I had a. Tw I was stuck in Haiti during the revolution of Duvalier, mm -hmm. and couldn't get out for a month. Wow. And I, I mean, that time period, no one knew where I was. Number one. Or if you were safe or it, anything. No, no one knew, and. I remember that time where I would go to sleep at night and the bed was covered in mosquito netting and machine gun fire was going off. And one night we went to um, a nightclub. We were supposed to have a show. And it was definitely like Casablanca with the beads and the red lighting and all of that. And this man came in, good looking man, white suit, bodyguard. It was Duvalier. Uh -huh. And they did the show. Show was over. He was gone. And I'm thinking, who was that man? You know, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm young. I'm stuck. I don't know. You know. And when I looked at the paper the next morning, he had just left the country. Oh, my gosh. So, you know, those moments, Nairobi yeah. and yeah. Kenya or being in Haiti, I mean. Um, yeah. A lot of people don't. When I was there, it was relatively safe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I was traveling because I was acting and I was the original Spider-Woman for Marvel Comics. So I was doing appearances in Texas and then I had to go to Miami and then I went to Haiti and then I realized that I wasn't getting out. Yeah. So it was, all right, but you're young, you're curious, you want to know. Yeah. But those things shape our lives. They do. They shape they our do. lives big time. 
We are running out of time, Anita. Oh, <laughs> God, this has been so wonderful. And I'm, Likewise. I'm looking at my notes here going, did I miss anyone, <laughs> anything, and, you know. We'll save it for next time. You will come back? Of course. I want you to come back. Yes. Okay. We'll definitely do it. And I want to thank you so very much for being thank on the show. Thank you for having me. So interesting, so fascinating. And, and, you know, I always tell my audience that if you have a dream, follow it. I don't care if it's difficult for you. The money isn't there. Keep the dream alive. Mm -hmm. Definitely need to do that. And if you have a chance, um, Anita has a website. Just type in her name. See all the wonderful things that she has accomplished and done. Um, I have all her books here. I'm missing a few. But what's here I've read. So I expect you to do the same thing. So, Anita, again, thank you. Thank you. I'd like you to write in with questions, and you will find my email address within my show notes. So let's move forward and have fun.